episode 29 of the Talking Shop podcast, where I chat with Kyle Lindsay, who is currently a minor league strength and conditioning coach within the Atlanta Braves organization. Recently, he won some hardware as the 2019 minor league strength and conditioning coach of the year for the Gulf Coast League. I know Kyle because he used to intern at TCU in strength and conditioning, and he comes back whenever he can to help coach, uh, just support athletes that he used to have and things like that, which just speaks to the, the kind of guy that he is. So, you know, I, I ran into him uh, whenever he'd be helping out indoor, indoor volleyball, beach volleyball, things like that. We'd always talk shop. This man has a lot of awesome experiences, just uh, a good guy to be around. And I, I thought that he could add a lot of value to the podcast and to you, the listener. We talk about college versus pro, uh, baseball, strength and conditioning. So that, that was pretty interesting. Don't get too in-depth because, you know, I want to get what makes him him. And I'll have him back on for round two where we get into that a little bit more. But we talk about how it's all about the athletes. It really is, or at least that's how he does his stuff. And quote-unquote, doing life together and how that's kind of a, a feed-forward loop of buying and things like that. Next, we talk about proactivity, and this would probably be the biggest advice that he had is you know your role and you go do it, and you crush the small things, and then you get a little bit bigger things and things like that. Not to not to give it away, but one thing that I really liked a lot, and it's funny because I haven't ranted about social media in a few episodes, so lucky you guys, but just how to be a better social media consumer how we often, you know, evaluate social things on social media as the tools that people are using instead of how they're using the tools. So just an interesting way to kind of flip the problem and, and how we can get more out of social media by just being a better consumer of it. So awesome talk. I hope you get a lot out of it. Let's get it going and let's get better together. Welcome to the Talking Shop Podcast, where I'm here attempting to capture in audio form lessons and experiences about everything within sports performance and professional development. I'm your host, Matt Tometz. On my podcast, I try to get at the why and the how instead of specifically the what by trying to show what makes people's unique lenses in which they see the world of sports performance and professional development their own lens. If I can get you to view and think about your job, life, problems a little differently than I've done my job. I make the content, you consume it, so I can only improve it with your feedback. If you have any suggestions for future shows, questions, or comments, please feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Coach Big Toe. That's Coach B-I-G-T-O-E. I'm excited to share this episode with you because we can all get better together. episode of the talking shop podcast with my friend kyle Lindsay. how are you doing today i'm doing well matt thanks for having me on yeah i appreciate it this is this is going to be awesome so uh, a little background about how i know kyle um i met him at tcu this past year where he uh is gracious enough whenever he's he's not out doing his baseball thing to come back to tcu and help out the a few sports teams here because he used to used to work at, at TCU, and then I met him through my work with some of the teams here, and uh, we're both baseball guys. Kyle's got a super interesting story, and I think that, that he can add a lot of value to my listeners. So 
for those that are not familiar with your background, would you mind just explaining a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, I guess as a coach, background really kind of got started in grad school. So I'm a alum, alumnus of Auburn University. I did both my bachelor's and master's degree there. So I took a year off after my undergrad and ended up going back a year later to pursue a master's degree in exercise science. And so went back, got got that degree where I specialized in biomechanics. I minored in sport management and then worked with a couple professors in their labs. And that's I'd say that's about when the the sport performance bug um, bit. And so worked in a sports biomechanics lab where my faculty advisor worked or collaborated with a handful of teams at Auburn, a softball team, a swim and dive team, a few track athletes. And so it was as a graduate student, I, I got word or got wind of the NSCA, studied for that, took the, the CSCS and earned that uh, in the year following my graduation, my master's degree. So get the CSCS. I attend the state conference or state clinic, excuse me, for the NSCA in Alabama, which at that year in 2016 was hosted by the University of Alabama Birmingham staff. And they uh, were gracious enough when they met me when I went up there on my own to invite me to be an intern with them as a strength and conditioning intern. So moved from Auburn to Birmingham, Alabama, and I spent a school year there from August 2016 until May of 2017. Turned around and wound up at TCU after that to work under Coach Zach Dakin, the baseball strength coach. And that's that's kind of how I ended up, at least at TCU. Um, worked mostly with baseball, indoor volleyball, beach volleyball. So kind of inadvertently became a, a strength coach for overhead rotational power sports. And through Zach started making connections with pro baseball organizations in the majors. And, um, through a few phone calls here and there, Ended up getting a job with the Atlanta Braves, and that is where I am currently at in my second season or second year with the team. Worked as the strength coach for our advanced rookie affiliate, the Danville Braves, in 2018. And then just this past season, worked as the strength coach for our GCL or Gulf Coast League Braves here in Northport, Florida. So that's uh, from Auburn back in well, graduation with a master's in 2015 to 2019, been at three different places and uh, currently working in pro baseball. Sweet. For uh, for all that time you spent in Alabama and the South, your draw isn't too bad. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you spent a little bit of time as a as a paleontologist. Is that is that the right noun I'm using? Yeah. Yeah. No, did that. Um, for about every July for eight or nine, yeah, nine years, uh, went up to work in Wyoming for a museum 
that was based in the state next door in South Dakota. So um, clean dinosaur bones or pulled dinosaur bones out of the ground uh, for eight summers, nine summers, excuse me, and also worked in that, that year between my undergraduate and graduate studies, worked for another museum based in Dallas, the Perot, uh, cleaning dinosaur bones in their lab. So um, all my anatomy, all my anatomy background is from digging up bones. So. Hey, so kind of the hey. <laughs> running, 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 running joke has always been that you know, a master's degree is in biomechanics and I never took anatomy in college. So I'm very just fortunate to, to be in a position where, you know, my, my background helps support me in that area. So I'm learning muscles and bones and all that goes into strength and conditioning, so to speak, just different, uh, different critters. <laughs> very very different critters but critters nonetheless it's weird how mm -hmm. there's there's all these different experiences that you you know upon first thought would think that that would never you know connect but you know if if we have muscles and bones and we're just trying to move and all this different stuff if if you think hard enough there's definitely a, a lot of connections there um yeah the physics so, still apply so yeah um so Mainly, well, I guess, you know, UAB is D1, TCU is Power 5, and then you're obviously with professional baseball right now. So what's what's kind of been your first your first kind of thoughts or not experiences, but kind of interpretations, I guess, because, you know, people talk about D1, Power 5, you know, being in pro sports and like, what can you say just actually having been there, done that for, for a few years, if that question makes sense, kind of just your general experience. So sort of like the differences maybe between the two college and pro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. I'd say the, there's, there's certainly some differences. Um, and I've talked, this is, you know, a topic that me and or my coworkers and I have talked at length about because a lot of my coworkers have come from, the college background, such as myself, um, we've got at least two others that I work with that were both graduate assistants or GAs uh, in strength and conditioning at the college level. And so we, a lot of us do come from that, that level of strength and conditioning before going into the professional realm. And so I would think with college, you still have a very strong teacher student relationship uh, between the athletes, the student athletes and the, the strength coaches. There's still this perception real or otherwise where you know, I'm the teacher as the coach or and the, and the student athlete is just that they're the student. And so the, you know, whether or not the athletes necessarily buy into your program and what you're trying to teach them, they still go along with it because they perceive you as the adult in the room for maybe a lack of better way of putting it. So whereas at the pro level, you're kind of more in the, maybe on an even surface with your athletes, not necessarily in terms of age, even though a lot of our athletes at the minor league level are close in age. I'm, I'm 30 years old. We have guys that are uh, pushing, you know, 27, 28, 29, once you start looking at double and triple A ball. But 
at the pro level, it's more of a partnership than anything else. And so I'm fortunate to be working at the, the rookie and advanced rookie level. So there's still kind of an element of being the older mentor and teacher in the relationship with my athletes. You know, I'm working with the players that are high school to college age, 17, 18 to 22 years old. So there's still kind of that, that dynamic of I'm more of the older teacher trying to guide them on the right path. So, uh, but, you know, pro ball tends to be more of a partnership per se than a, than kind of that teacher student dynamic. And it's also a lot more laid back. Uh, college, for better or for worse, college tends to be a bit more rigid. Um, more, you know, sometimes more of the my way or the highway and for some coaches. And that's not to say that's, you know, that's not to say that's all college strength and conditioning coaching, but it certainly exists. And at the pro level, it's much more casual. It's much more laid back. Um, you know, I, there's, you would never see in pro baseball during a warm up that if an athlete doesn't give 100% effort on something like a single leg RDL, you're not going to blow a whistle and have them go back to the line and do it again until they get it perfect. Uh, you would just be looked at like you're crazy if you're, if you did that in the pro sports. In fact, there are no whistles. Um, at least not in pro baseball. Um, it's just not part of the culture. Um, maybe NFL, I don't know, but at least not in pro baseball. I've, I haven't used the whistle. It's been in my drawer since I took this job. So, um, it's, it's definitely a different culture, a different dynamic. And so yeah, the- that's something that, you know, that's something that some people don't realize. So. Yeah, it's it's. I like how you you made it super simple. Just like the difference where, you know, upon first thought, an outsider might just be like, "Oh, well, baseball S and C." Like you go from stud athletes to a little bit more stud athletes, but just like the environment or the culture, kind of like you said, where it's very simple. It's it's athlete coach relationship, kind of like you know mentor student. I guess you know, kind of like you said. But then, like when you get to the pros, it's it's a partnership where it's more working with them. And although that's super simple in in kind of theory and it makes a lot of sense, when it when it comes time to actually go and do your thing, you would you would go about the same issue in two completely different ways. Um so yeah. I, I like how you kind of you kind of split those two up. Um so first podcast for all my guests is to get kind of what makes them them in sports performance. I'd love to have you back on for round two and talk specifically about pro uh, pro baseball. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, don't want to don't make this like a, a three-hour episode, which I would love, but um, for the sake of your time and everyone else. But uh, one more kind of on-the-spot question, and then we'll get into kind of kind of the, the lens questions, if you will. But so sure. you've done a ton of different stuff. You travel around. You've been with all these different teams. How are you so willing or where do you find the time to volunteer so much and do so much kind of on your own? I think it's just about a matter of finding that time. I think for me, you know, I'm very fortunate. I came into the game. I came into the coaching industry a little bit later than most people traditionally do. 
And so I, I finished my master's degree and then went into my first internship. If I could rewind the tape and do it again, you know, it'd be, would be great to have that internship experience while still in a college setting. Um, I'm fortunate because, you know, I didn't have anything conflicting with my internship, whether that was graduate school classes or another job, but at the same time, having that opportunity to be a student and intern and then go straight, you know, hit the ground running would have, would have been great. But having said that, you know, my time was just, you know, it, it took sacrifice. Um, when I went up to Birmingham, I had, I had left a paying job in Auburn that I had in the athletics department. And I moved up to Birmingham. I had to eat into my savings a little bit in order to uh, pay rent. And I took a, a, a side job as a personal trainer at a Gold's Gym in the Birmingham area to make ends meet because you know, the internship wasn't, wasn't paid. And the same was true when I went to TCU. I, I'm from the Dallas side of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, so I was going home, so that helped. And But the drawback was I live an hour away from TCU's campus. So that meant waking up at 4, 4.30 most mornings to drive an hour across the Metroplex and get to TCU's campus in time for the first uh, practice, which... Uh, if it was baseball, we're talking 6:45. If it's beach volleyball, some one semester at least was 6:15. Others it was 6:30. So um, it just meant sacrificing um, those couple years. You know, I, I was an intern at the college level for almost two years, and it just meant, you know, having taking taking that risk. And so, and you know, it wasn't necessarily maybe a matter of having the time as it was just making it um for better or for worse and in my case it was for better because i i lucked out and this this door opened this job uh, came available for me with the braves and i wouldn't i wouldn't have this job if it wasn't for the opportunities that were afforded to me by at um, by the coaches at uab and tcu yeah the that's awesome. And that's one of the things I, I admire most about you just, you know, as I got to know you a little bit better last year. And, you know, whenever you, you'd kind of come back was just like, you were always so willing to help out the current SNC coaches. And whenever we travel with the beach team in Florida, you know, you, you try to make your way, uh, make your way to one of our games and just different stuff like that. So, um, it's making the time, which is, so difficult to do because you know if if pe people have any sort of kind of ambition there's always something to do you know you never yeah. don't have anything to do you know so it's it comes down to like what you really want and if you know where you're going and you kind of have this plan then it makes it a little a little simpler but yeah making the time for sure yeah. i like that so uh what is the coolest story you have in your profession thus far so it's funny you asked me this question because it was, it was a similar question asked to me, um, by another gentleman from another podcast earlier this week. And the only, the only difference in phrasing was just give me your best professional baseball story. So, and I would say that 
that story applies to this question as well. Um, in my first year, so 2018 Pro Bowl, I worked in the infamous Appalachian League, which is, for listeners who don't know, is our the advanced rookie level um, <clears throat> league that is has teams in Virginia, West Virginia, East Tennessee, and North Carolina. And minor league baseball is is much less sexier than major league baseball. People who aren't familiar with baseball don't realize the work and the grind that these minor league players go through in the hopes of making it big um, someday on that on that that big stage in the major league system. So having said that, kind of as a preface, in my first year, the players and I lived out of a hotel in Danville, Virginia, where our team was based. And so the other coaches had host families um, that, that season, but I was somewhat of a late addition to that, that particular team. So, you know, you don't really have an opportunity to get a place to live uh, where they'll let you stay for only five to six months and then bail at the end of baseball season. So I'm living in this hotel with these players. And the deal was that anytime we went on the road, we would have to check out of the hotel and then taking all of our stuff with us. They, they were fortunate enough the or they were gracious enough to give us a closet to put our stuff in. So we, we weren't always taking everything we owned with us, but we check out when we go on the road and we check back in when we come home. So after about six days on the road, about halfway through season, we we get home late around midnight, and the you know the the bus drops us off. We all get into our cars that were parked at the ballpark, and then we drive to our hotel. So we get there at midnight, and the hotel was not expecting us whatsoever. Um, what happened was is the manager of the hotel had gone out of town and failed to provide the login information to the front desk computer to the assistant manager. So the assistant manager of this hotel never received the email from RGM letting them know that, hey, this is when we're slated to come back home. So now at midnight at this hotel, you have a team of 25 to 30 players and one coach. So I'm I'm pretty much the adult in the room because you know, yeah. my players are 17 to 20, 22 years old. I'm at that time 28, 29, and I'm having to explain both in English and in Spanish to my players what the situation is. I'm having to find out from the desk clerk what what the situation is, um, and also calling the GM at midnight, waking him up, trying to let him know the situation. So long story short, <clears throat> we end up getting rooms. This despite the fact that they told us they didn't have rooms at first, which was kind of weird that they wound up having rooms after all. But it wasn't in, but it wasn't before there was a couple of times where key cards were given to my athletes. They'd go up to the room and then they'd come back down and tell us that they were there were people already in their rooms. <laughs> and so Gotta you, love it. you have a 
Yeah, I've got some players who we, we joked about the story the other day where um, they, you know, they, they at least one pl- group of players, two players walked into a room where they saw a purse on the bed in the shower running. And so they immediately kind of just shut the door and left. And you had another player who, upon trying to get into his room, had someone yell at them that someone was in there. So they quickly shut the door and run, run down the hall and back down to the front desk. So, um, finally, we finally found, managed to find a way to get everyone a room and including myself. And so, but that wasn't, uh, I think by the time I got my own room and went to bed, that had to been about, I think I remember looking at the clock. It was 3 a.m. in the morning. Wow. So, um, and that's, and that's about as minor league as minor league gets uh, in terms of just whether it's, you know, the, the hotel not washing your our uniforms for the baseball game the next day or, or you know, just the, the dugout flooding because of some torrential downpour. I'm like, so that's, that's about as minor league baseball as minor league baseball gets. Yeah, definitely. I have a, a family friend who was with, or maybe still is with the Dodgers organization and his first year in uh, pro ball, it cost him more to be a professional baseball player than he made, just like with rent and everything, yeah. you know. And so sure. it's definitely not as sexy as as it may seem, you know, being a professional athlete, especially just with the amount of minor league teams and whatnot. But uh, minor league yeah. grinders, if you're familiar with that account, um, yep, that's that's a very accurate portrayal in a lot of cases of what minor league baseball is. In fact, I know there's at least one or two videos that are from us um, and from my players specifically. So That's awesome. Yeah, so those who are not familiar, Marley Grinders is a I, – I know them on Instagram. I'm sure they're on other social media, but just people record videos of their minor league struggles and they you know post it to, the, to this account. So there's definitely some pretty funny stuff, but definitely some – you know, definitely just – uh, very real kind of wake up calls. Like it's definitely not as as sexy as people can make it out to be. But I thought you were gonna say that y'all had a camp out under the stars in like center field. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah, it. Uh, fortunately, it didn't come to that. So, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, you know that that was that was probably my first real, my first real eye opening experience to being in minor league baseball because you know I'm you really kind of get thrust into that position. I, as the kind of the the one coach there, you're really, I've got all my players on one side that I'm trying to kind of corral like a bunch of cats. And then I have the the hotel staff and the GM, RGM uh, on the, either on the phone or I'm, I'm passing my phone back to the hotel clerk and uh, myself to talk to the GM. So, and, and then being very, having very minimal Spanish skills at the time and trying to communicate, just the whole situation to my, my players that are from the Dominican Republic or uh, elsewhere outside of the United States, it, it proved to be quite, quite the first big challenge for me in, you know, in, in my big boy role, role as a strength coach in pro baseball. And you made it and you have quite, quite the story to show for it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those um, are the best so- stories sometimes. Yeah, it definitely in the moment it, it can suck a lot, but um definitely definitely meant for some laughs, you know, later on down the road. Um Absolutely. What are 
What are some of your main governing beliefs slash perspectives that help guide you in your life and or your profession? I think ultimately it has to be about the athletes. So, you know, if you, you can have all the book knowledge, you can have all the programming knowledge in the world, but as a strength and conditioning coach, you are around the athletes almost as much, if really not more so than any other coach, whether that's because, you know, they're in the weight room with you, you're leading the warm up with them, you're sitting in the dugout with them or in the bullpen while the other coaches are, you know, not, not to say you're not focused on the game, but you, you have a little bit more time to kind of just sit and talk small, uh, have small talk and talk shop with your players. And so, you really get to learn a lot about who your athletes are, what drives them, their their family, their girlfriends, kind of all the things that make them who they are and those things that influence why they play baseball or how they play baseball on that particular day, for instance. And so, you know, there's the line that kind of has been tossed around here and there and in strength and conditioning circles about, you know, people don't care how much you know, so they know how much you care. And I think, you know, as cliche and maybe even as corny as that line can be sometimes, it really is applicable. Um, it, you know, being invested in your athletes emotionally, socially, you know, helps with buy-in because it shows that, it shows them that you're invested in them. You're, you take an interest and who they are. And that, to me, always helps break down walls and opens up that relationship to be stronger and to just get that buy-in from them. So uh, that's, that's really kind of my, the thing that drives me. Um, and, you know, that, that bears itself out in different ways, whether it's, you know, first thing I ask an athlete, you know, during the day is, you know, I don't really ask them about, or how they're feeling, if they're sore from the day before, or if they're looking forward to this lift or what they've done most recently in terms of nutrition or sleep. It's, hey, how's your family? Hey, how's your relationship with your girlfriend? And just kind of asking about just life and, you know, sh sharing life, doing life together. So, or else running with them. So I, you know, and this is something that you, you, you would be familiar with because of my time at TCU. I'm, I make a point to run with my athletes when I can, uh, conditioning. I, I'm not going to lift, obviously, uh, when they lift because I need to be in that moment. I need to be coaching, but something like conditioning where you're just running X amount of yards or doing cuts or anything like that, like that doesn't really take a lot of coaching. And so, um, while uh, intern at TCU, I, I made a point to run with both indoor volleyball when I first started working with them and would do it with beach as well, either on the sand or elsewhere when they would have that. So um, I find that, you know, you show your, if you demonstrate to your athletes that you're willing to do what you are asking them to do on a daily basis, they're more inclined to, to be bought into that program at that point because you know, they, they see you putting in the effort too, and it holds you as a coach accountable. Yeah, I, I love everything about that answer. I'll, I'll do my best to kind of sum it up. I have a few kind of 
kind of bullet points, but going back to what you said about it being a partnership and kind of quote unquote doing life together, I think that is that is awesome where it's not me coaching at you, yelling at you, telling you what to do. It's this partnership. It's this ebb and flow of us working together to get to get you where you want to be. You know, I have the knowledge and you have the motivation and then we're going to kind of work t- together to get there. But it's funny that you brought up about running with your athletes because I recently hopped in with beach conditioning, which was absolutely miserable. <laughs> I don't know what, sure. well, I know why I did it. Absolutely miserable. You know, I lift heavy weights. I don't run. Cardio is like anything more than six reps for me. But, and the girl, like I took my, my, my socks and shoes off and I hopped in the sand and, and the girls were like, man, are you going to condition with us? And I was like, heck yeah, I am. And they got so excited and they were just like, whenever I would hop in or you would hop in or, you know, the athletic trainer or whoever it may be, it's like, they said that it just helps them feel like, like you're in it and they're not the only crazy ones doing this crazy conditioning. And like, it just helps them just feel a little bit better about everything. And that's a little thing where, you know, in the moment it might suck, but it's going to have those large kind of dividends. And, um, one more kind of main talking point is that when you said it's all about the athletes. So my brother is a middle school teacher. I had him on, I don't have the specific episode number in my mind, but for those of you listening, you can just scroll. He's got the same last name as me, Anthony Tomets. But uh, his thing about teaching middle schools is all about the students. And if you have kind of your pyramid set up of like your values, and if the foundation is, you know, the students, the athletes, it makes all future decisions that much easier to make. It kind of takes out the guesswork, you know, because you can get so caught up in wanting to brain dump your knowledge and get testing and all of these numbers and baseball, 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 you know, but if you're thinking about the athlete first, it makes decision-making that much easier. Like I said, no more guessing, but then it's also twofold to where it kind of helps with the buy-in that, that you also said. Um, sure. So yeah, it helps you out and then it helps the athletes out. And, and it, it's definitely tough, you know, being quote unquote, like the adult, the subject matter expert, however you want to call it to not, not impose your dominance, but just like show that you you're worth your salt, even though they don't care about that. They care that you care about them. Um, so I hope sure. I, I sum that up well. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's, you're willing to suffer with them sometimes. So I think, you know, if you're an, if you're a coach that's physically capable of doing it, obviously there's a point in time either in someone's life or, you know, level of athlete they're working with. My, my, my athletes are much better at some things than I am, but I'm lucky that I get a lot of the guys where, you know, I'm still, I think I'm still pretty fast. And so we, we keep our races close and, you know, we'll challenge each other. And it's always funny how they, they kick up an extra gear when they got <laughs> coach there with them on the line. So um, exactly. you know, a guy that might not, might not always give you a hundred percent all of a sudden is, you know, using his hand like a rear view mirror as he's trying to pass you. So, uh, you know, it's, I, I think, you know, it's something you don't see, at least in my experience, it's, you don't see as much maybe at the college level, but again, something about pro baseball, you know, it's a lot more laid back. And so it's more of a partnership. So, um, if I were to ever go back to the college realm, it's something I'd certainly want to continue if, if it was uh, a possibility, just, a matter of uh 
having that discernment and to know when when the time is to to jump in and to help out your athletes in that way. So. Yeah, definitely a time and place. This this isn't meant to go, you know, do every rep with them because of course you have to coach and things like that. But with experience, you'll learn kind of when to and when not to. But um, if your athlete wins, all you got to say is, "Hey, your coach must be doing a pretty good job." Then, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. So, how can your experiences help my listeners grow as coaches, whether it's sports performance specific or just in general as professional? I think the big thing really is to be proactive more than anything. So, um, I get a lot of grief every now and then about that because I'm I'm not someone who likes to wait around. I'll I'll start racking weights and putting things back in order, you know, at a moment's notice when I think it's when it's time. I I, I don't like to to wait around, and so, but you know, being proactive is. It's just how you get things done. Just, you know, if you, you've got responsibilities, you know, don't, don't wait around for someone to, to tell you what to do. If, if you're, if you're familiar with what your role is, if you're familiar with all the responsibilities that come with whatever position you have and say, for instance, it's an internship where you're not being paid to do it, you know, it's, don't don't wait for someone else to tell you to do your job. You know, go ahead and do it, and go the extra mile. I know those are all cliche things to say, but you know the more the more effort you put into it, and the more you can be proactive and shown that you are trustworthy, the more responsibility you'll ultimately get. The, the proudest moment for me at TCU was. You know, I was there for, I was there in the summer semester. I was there in the fall semester. I spent about a month and a half into the spring semester before leaving for spring training with Braves. And so I had the benefit of being kind of a longer term intern. And so when the fall interns were slated to arrive, I was more or less told that you know, I would be kind of somewhat responsible for overseeing the onboarding process of new interns in terms of showing them the ropes, showing them the daily responsibilities that we had or that were expected of us. And for me, that that meant a lot to me because it 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 showed me or told me that I had done enough to be trusted with a leadership role. Um, you know, as an intern, I'm leading other interns while still being an intern myself. And so to me, that was, that was a, a big moment because it indicated that I was doing something right, or at least that I was doing something right enough that, uh, I was, I was trusted with that re- new responsibility put on my shoulders. And it all comes again back to just being willing and able to do things in advance. And having that foresight to to do it, whether it's prepping for this group next, um, whether it's knowing that this team coming later is going to use the same equipment in the same part of the weight room. And so kind of just maybe putting it to the side rather than putting it up completely, just having that, that awareness of what's going on around you 
and being proactive and being having the ability to adapt and adjust on the fly as you see fit based on what your schedule is that day. Yeah, and and there's a few things that I want to tease out of that. So like knowing your role and I don't want to blame the younger generation or whatever kind of crap that is, but at least in in my own experiences it's kind of like, well, I didn't do it cuz you didn't tell me to do it. Sure. You know, and, and stuff like that. And if you don't know your role, then that's the perfect opportunity to literally go ask. Yeah. You know, and if there's any confusion and if your superior is worth their salt, then they should have a good answer for what your role is, kind of like why you're there. Um, so the quickest way to help be proactive is knowing your role and be proactive by asking what your role is. And then, and then second, what I like a lot is how you talked about by doing that stuff, the small stuff, it increases the amount of trust and responsibility you can get. And it definitely sucks in the moment because everyone feels like they're better than intern responsibilities or the small tasks and stuff like that. But if you can't crush the little stuff, why would your boss feel that you can crush the medium stuff, sure. let alone the big stuff, you know? And a quote that I, that I like from, from Dabo Sweeney was if your job is to get coffees and donuts, coffee and donuts, you get the freshest coffee or the warmest, the hottest coffee and the freshest donuts. And you just, that's just your job, you know? And if you do that well, then next time it's going to be, Hey, go get lunch for everyone. And then next time it's going to be like, make us dinner reservations. And then it's, you know, and it's just going to keep building on itself where, where people definitely want to get ahead of themselves. But, or without taking care of the moment, you know, and being proactive kind of in the moment. So it's definitely tough. Like I've been there when I was an intern. And when I started out, well, an intern uh, back home at TC Boost, but also just in my master's program, you know, I was, I went from being a senior on the baseball team to kind of like that, that little freshman in my master's program, going back to kind of the, the small annoying tasks, but that's just part of the process. So kind of just having that big picture in mind where it's like, if you, if you want the big picture stuff, you got to do the, the little picture sure. stuff as well. So. Um, and that starts with, with being proactive to kind of bring this full circle. Yeah. 100%. I, I think I definitely uh, agree. You, you had a good point uh, there in terms of, you know, if your role is just the small thing, then, then, you know, work the hell out of it. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, I, you know, the towels and getting towels for the weight room was, uh, uh, one of the daily things we do. And, you know, you just, you, you go down there, you get the towels, you bring them up and you fold them. And, you know, that's, uh, that was one thing that I was kind of, you know, ribbed about a lot was, you know, just getting the towels, you know, first thing and folding them, whether or not someone else was there to help. But, you know, you, you do a dang good job at folding those towels and, you know, bigger things will, you know, that's not to say that they will always come to you and they may not, but you never, you never in life want to get to a point where you are too big for any job. Uh, you should take and see value in every job you have. Um, I know Joe Ken, uh, strength coach for the Carolina Panthers, says the same thing. You know, whether you're coaching at the high school level or the college level or the pro level, you know, whatever, whatever job you have, never to let yourself grow to be too big for whatever that job is. So, 
Never too big for any job. I love that. I love that for sure. And, and I mean, kind of going back to my previous, previous example, if, if you can't get the towels and fold the towels, why would, why should they have any sort of idea sure. to trust you with anything? Bigger, it's an easy job, you know? Uh, but I, I've, yeah, it's, it's an easy job. So you, it's just like how you have to build, build mm-hmm. trust with your coach to get more important minutes or opportunities on the field. It's, it's the same thing kind of as a, as a professional. And, um, yeah, if, if your job is to fold the towels, like you better crush the heck out of those towels. You know, I forgot who I was, who I was talking to, but I asked them for advice. I don't know if it was a job or an internship or what, but they just said, make yourself mm-hmm. indispensable or ir- I think it was indispensable, not irreplaceable, even though they sure. are similar, similar words, but you know, when, when, so when you're an intern at TCU, whenever your time was done, your goal was to make them miss you to be like, Oh man, like, what are we going to do without him? You know, like he did so much. My, for us. my, my thought, um, he crushed the towels. He. Oh no, you're fine. That's, yeah, sorry. I, my thought process is, has always been, you know, and, and credit to my youth pastor for this because it was always what he'd say when we'd be, you know, halfway on our trip to, you know, a mission trip and we'd be stopping at what a Cracker Barrel or somewhere like that. It's like always leave a place better than you found it. And to your point, you know, it's make, make yeah. your impact in such a way that, you know, you, you've left a place that you were at better than you found it. So just like you said. Better than you found it. Yeah. And all of these things are, I hate to say cliche, but cliches are only cliches because they're overused and they're only overused because they're true because no one would continually say false things. So for all the listeners rolling your eyes at us, Suck it up and embrace it. It's like squats and deadlifts. It's like squats and deadlifts. There's a reason. There's a reason why squats and deadlifts. You know, there's you've got guys that you know like doing unilateral work more these days, and there's nothing wrong with that. And in my first year in pro baseball, that's all I had to work with because I worked my players worked out of a plan of fitness. But you know, there's a reason why squats and deadlifts continue to be used. You know, powerlifting lifts or continue to be used for athletic performance enhancement because they work. And, you know, like I, I love that line of yours about, you know, they, they seem like cliche lines, but they're, they're said over and over again and they're cliches for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, and going back to your kind of like sports performance example, if you want to get to the French contrast and the bands and the chains and all of this stuff, it's like, why do you think you could get there without being mm-hmm. able to body weight squat, you know, or without being able to hinge and kind of stuff like that? So it's it's definitely easy to get caught up, whether it's kind of like your own ego or you're kind of just over that little stuff. But the little stuff is is the big stuff. One hundred percent. I agree. Um, so I, I like that little tangent we, we went on. And I like how you brought that back to kind of the, the sports for sure. Um, last big question. If you had a perfect world for your profession, what would it be? So this would be how do you optimize what's already good and how do you improve what's bad? Mm. Perfect world would probably be where every 
place you went on the road had the exact same weight room that you had at home. That would, uh, assuming the weight room you have at home is nice. So in my, my case, you know, I'm sitting here in my office looking out onto the weight room at our new facility in Northport, Florida. So you can't get much better than the facility we have here now. And so, and if I was at a, if I was at one of our affiliates, you know, and I, and I could be guaranteed that wherever we went on the road, I had the same equipment, that would, that would be nice. And, you know, I, that's, that's a, a nice dream that obviously might never happen, but just, you know, if I can think of a way to make the world perfect from a strength coach's eyes, it'd be to have everything you'd want available to you. And so, though, on the flip side of that, that almost is what kind of makes our job dynamic and interesting is that, you know, you, you really can't be married to any one exercise or coaching philosophy because you're going to go into a commercial gym on the road with your athletes and be stuck with very limited equipment or machines that you hardly if ever used before. And so, you know, it's, I, I say in a perfect world, we'd have all the equipment we wanted, but it almost might make the job a little bit more boring. To, um, to your second point about, you know, something I can maybe, I guess, was it take away the improve the bad? Uh, yeah. Improve the bad. I think there's a tendency and it's, it's not all bad. So I don't want to paint a picture that I'm totally against it, but. I think with the advent of social media and how it's kind of burst onto the scene for a lot of strength coaches where you have some of these more well na- uh, more well-known names publish on a routine basis whether it's on Instagram or Twitter I think there becomes this tendency to identify with certain coaches or those coaches philosophies to the point in which you are no longer your own person. And I think we have, we have a temptation or temptation exists to, to base the merit of particular exercise or program on the, the successfulness of the coach and not on that particular training philosophy or exercise by itself. And so, you know, you have someone who sees so-and-so coach tweet about this or post about that and all of a sudden they they kind of maybe quick to jump the gun and oh i gotta add this to my program or uh oh this this coach said this is a a bad exercise so i'm gonna have to take it out of my program and so without really kind of putting more thought into it first um, you know it's i think social media is a great thing it's it provides us the opportunity to to engage in dialogue more than we might could have done in the past. But I think that risk still exists that, um, you know, people kind of weigh, you know, weigh the value of something based on who's saying it. And I think we need to be wary of, be wary of that because a lot of times, you know, that's where ego starts to kind of come in too. And people kind of will put other coaches down because, oh, you know, look at this person using Olympic lifts for this athletic population. And, you know, how, how could they possibly think that's a, a good idea? It's like, you know, 
context always matters. You know, what works for one group and one coach is not necessarily going to be either a value or pertinent to your group of athletes. And, and that's okay. I like all of the exercises, Olympic lifts, barbell lifts, those are all tools in a toolbox. And the ultimate goal is to, to make your athletes more resilient and, you know, keep them in the game longer. And so, you know, there's, there's no one exercise that's perfect. Uh, and on the flip side of that, there's no one exercise that I think you just outright banish. Um, sometimes it's, you know, this was a discussion recently had with some other people is that, is it a bad exercise or is the way that you're coaching it make it a bad exercise? Is, you know, for a quick example is, you know, is back squat really a bad exercise or are you allowing bad form? Are you, are you, you know, if you're not coaching it, you're allowing it. So are you, you know, if, if an athlete's under too heavy a load and they're, you know, struggling to get it up and using poor form, well, what's that say about your programming? Are you maybe using, are you programming too heavy of a weight for them? And so, you know, that you could easily have poor form on front squats too. And I know because I do front squats quite a bit. So, um, you know, you, you want to be wary of not going to one extreme or the other too quickly. So, and I think social media sometimes, you know, for better, or for worse, has a tendency to do that for a lot of us because we don't see the context. Yeah, and and if I had to sum that up, mm -hmm. it's just being no, a better good. consumer. But it's it's tough to do that because yeah, because you just you see it and you see the amount of followers they have and you see the previous stuff they've posted and you either like it or you don't like it and it's impressive how many followers they have and how cool the exercise is and it's just like it kind of sparks your brain. It's like someone smart is doing it or that's a really cool exercise when. When one one I forgot where I heard this example, but it was uh it was talking about like a mm -hmm. championship college baseball team and they just won it all and all these other coaches were asking him for his program and whatnot. And it's like it only works because the program was made for our coaching staff, for our Absolutely. facilities, for our athletes, for our culture, you know, and 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 when it comes to social media, it's like they're implementing that exercise, that methodology, whatever it may be, with their own athletes, with their own equipment, you know, based on their own experiences where, if anything, social media should just make you ask more questions instead of, you know, trying to trying to uh, yeah. conclude more answers, I guess. But I I love how you said people determine the value of uh, content relative to who's saying it sure. instead of the actual content itself, which I mean, it's, it's easy if, if they have a lot of followers, like then they're doing something right. <laughs> and there's this one account, I'm not going to say who it is, but they have like 300,000 followers. I want to say, and they post these super complex, the, the name of these exercises is like eight words long banded speed, explosive, yeah jump resistance yeah. split jumps or whatever it may be and it's like this dude who's obviously super ripped that's doing these jumps that one percent of the population could possibly do 
And everyone's yeah. just commenting the fire emoji on it because it looks so cool. You know, but you know, are you are you evaluating the content relative to the coach who's putting it out there? Or the yeah relative to the content of the actual content, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. just asking better questions, being a better consumer. It's not that it's bad, you know, it's just that people don't take the time to really evaluate sure. it, how it no, should I, I think you're appropriately right be evaluated. Well. You know, if I'm saying that correct, it's kind of the, the opposite extreme of when people, you know, are critical of someone's beliefs or arguments. And instead of, critiquing the argument they critique the individual they use an ad hominem attack where you know i don't have a good answer or a good critique of this person's idea so i'm going to attack the person it's kind of the it's like that but the opposite end of the spectrum where you know i i value you know i i want this in my program not because i value or understand the kind of what that that exercise maybe or that technique or program brings to the table itself but because this person says it's what they use and so I, i'm valuing that you know and so maybe that's not the best analogy but it's you know again like we've we've been talking about your it's like all of a sudden you want to input something into your program on the basis of someone else not you know and that person might be a coach for a college men's golf team and you're working with an nba basketball team well you know that's where what's the context there you know, is this is this a is this a tool in that should be in your toolbox so mm -hmm. yeah and and if i had to tie this into one more example being a better consumer just using that mm -hmm. phrase it's Evaluate social media and sure. how they're using their tools instead of the actual tools they're using. Um, I feel like that might, might sum it up well. So, uh, one last thing before the speed round. Yeah, um, you got some hardware I this past season, if I'm not thing. mistaken. Would <laughs> um, you mind sharing I, uh, a little bit about that? What year is it? 2019, yeah. It's uh, one or was the recipient for the 2019 MILB, uh, which is just minor league baseball, strength and condition coach of the year for the the league that my team is in. So the Gulf Coast League. So that's uh, an award that's uh, voted on by our peers every season and awarded by the or uh, presented by the Professional Baseball Strength and Condition Coaches Society or PBSCCS for short. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's sweet. So just had to just had to get that that little plug in there. Show well, show it's how not on my legit nightstand, you are. But that's because it's sitting so, right next to me speed here around. at my desk at work. Oh, you're um, very welcome. It's great at work. Speed around. By what book you got Hansen. on your nightstand? Uh, subtitle is "How Top Performers Do Less, Work Better, and Achieve More." So it's um, it's actually my my boss's book, and I have borrowed it from his side of the office and I'm just using it as my my current read I try to I try not to always be reading just strength and conditioning material I I like the hop between topics and genres so great at work by Morton Hansen is the book I'm reading through 
Uh, That's awesome. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, nope. Best purchases be last year under 50 bucks. Sunscreen for my truck. Um, because, yeah, so my, uh, uh, what's the company? WeatherTech, uh, just standard customized sunscreen for my Tacoma, uh, just for living the here. Sunscreen for your truck. You know, I live in Texas in the off season and then I, in season this year, I, I, uh, work with our rookie team here in Florida. So that, that became a lifesaver. Um, uh, you know, getting into my car at four or five in the afternoon when it's 90, 100 degrees outside in Florida. The, I'm on social media. I will admit I am not great at social media. I have not. I can only imagine. I'm, I'm not pretty consistent about posting. So where so can the listeners find more of you? Probably two places to find or reach out to me, you know, for professional networking or what have you, would be either through LinkedIn, which is the one social media site I am kind of consistently on, just reading articles about work and the professional world. So... Uh, I would say LinkedIn and then my, my professional email. So, which is just Kyle dot Lindsay, Lindsay spelled at L A N D S E Y at braves.com. Sure. Yeah, no, that's fine. So, and I think you think you have that. So you should be able to find me there so all all three pictures that i got up there so all right and then whenever i post about this on social media I'll also tag your your insta profile if that's all right yeah all right so perfect they can scroll through all three of them pretty quick um so thank you again for for taking the time uh, I wanted to get kind of what makes you, you and your experiences and things like that. And I will definitely have to have you on round two for something sure. a little bit no, more I, specific I it, Matt. I, for, you I know, professional you baseball, strength and conditioning, but, you, you know, wanted for, uh, to get kind of the first one out of the, the way. Out of your day too, um, but yeah, thank you again. I appreciate your time. And I think there's a lot of value out of this and I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing it with the world. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, cool. Well, appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we could fi finally record one of our many talking shop sessions. All right, have a good one. And that does it for this episode of the Talking Shop Podcast. Thank you very much for giving me your time. I really do appreciate it. I hope this episode did a good job of making you stop and think and evaluate about the topics discussed. I'd love to hear what you thought, so please feel free to give me a comment, rating, review, like on whatever platform you're listening on. Let me know what you want to hear next. Hit me up on social media at Coach Big Toe. That's at Coach B-I-G-T-O-E on Insta and Twitter. Remember, we can all get better together.